This afternoon, we once again begin with the first Lord's Day of the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 1. There we confess the following from the Word of God. What is your only comfort in life and death? That I am not my own, but belong with body and soul, both in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from all the power of the devil. He also preserves me in such a way that Without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. Therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live for him. What do you need to know in order to live and die in the joy of this comfort? First, how great my sins and misery are. Second, how I am delivered from all my sins and misery. Third, how I am to be thankful to God for such deliverance. So far, our confession. Brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, boys and girls who who belong to, to him, we read Psalms 73 a little while ago. It says above that psalm that Asaph wrote it. Asaph was one of the leaders of song in the temple. Asaph was jealous, envious of people who didn't believe who weren't interested in serving God. They were doing just fine while he was struggling with all kinds of issues in his life. Maybe he had just been told he had a serious illness or maybe his accountant had come by to tell him that his business was going south fast. Whatever the case, Asaph was pretty envious of some other people who didn't serve God but whose lives were going very well at the time. People who were even acting wickedly, as he says. They were rich and fat and did whatever they pleased and didn't seem to have too many worries about them at all. Asaph saw that and he was upset He was upset that God seemed to be blessing the wrong people here. He was blessing those people rather than the upright, those who struggled to live for him, as as he mentions in the psalm. Not fair. What's the use of walking with God if he blesses unbelief with all kinds of good things while believers have a hard time? I think a lot of us may have thought the same kind of thoughts, right? 
unbelievers can do whatever they want today while we're sitting here in church. They can keep their business open if they want. Or they can just sit and relax at home or socialize and go out for dinner. Sometimes can maybe make you envious, right? And people who don't bother with God are quite often better off than we are. To be Christian and to belong to Christ church costs time and effort and money. In some ways, it looks like you're at a disadvantage from advancing yourself materially and socially as a Christian. So what's the use of being a committed Christian if it doesn't seem to make all that much difference and, in fact, might even disadvantage you? Congregation, with that question in mind, let's listen to what we confess in the first Lord's Day of the Heidelberg Catechism about our only comfort. We pay attention to two things. First of all, the need for that comfort by all. Secondly, the uniqueness of that comfort. So first of all, the need for that comfort. The catechism drawn up in the time of the Reformation in the 16th century begins with a very personal question. What is your only comfort in life and death? And the question, the question in itself already implies that you and I need com- comfort. It assumes that we need comfort. If you think about the time when the catechism was written, you can imagine people were looking for comfort. Christians were looking for comfort. In those days, after all, people were being persecuted for the Reformed faith. Think of Guido de Bray, who drew up the Belgian Confession around the same time, hung for his faith there in Antwerp, the town square. You can imagine that there was need for comfort in those days. And you also have to think then of infant mortality was a lot higher then and had a lot of things to deal with. A lot of uncertainties. We live in different times now, though, don't we? We're not being persecuted or put to death for our faith today. We live in relative freedom and prosperity here. We have technology. We have health system. So does it make any sense to be busy with our only comfort here and now? Maybe some of us are looking for comfort right now because of personal trouble or sorrow, suffering that people don't see. But do we all need this comfort? Also those of us who are doing well health-wise and income-wise and so on, whose lives are going just fine. Do we all need comfort? Well, the catechism again proceeds in Lord's Day 1 from the assumption we all do need it. Why? We all need comfort because of our fall into sin. What that has done to us and continues to do to us in this world. 
And we know as a result, for instance, of that, that our lives are ticking away. And that we all eventually have to leave this life and stand before God and answer for our, our lives here, for our sins. It's because of sin and the effects of sin and the consequences of sin that we all, every single one of us, whatever state he might be in this life, needs comfort. Well, we don't always see that need for comfort very clearly, right? Sometimes life is so good we hardly notice that need at all. Look at the people that Asaph mentions in Psalm 73. They were church people. Asaph is writing about people in Israel. They lived without worries they didn't take into account that God sees whatever we do. They said, how does God know? They figured they could do what they wanted because God doesn't see what they do anyway. They figured they learned that from experience. They did what they wanted. They committed sin and it had no immediate consequences. So they figured God doesn't see. That's always the danger for us as Christians, isn't it? When we're doing well and healthy, we easily think we can manage just fine without Jesus Christ, without God. And then we forget that everything can change suddenly, even in a moment. Suddenly, you can be involved in a serious accident. And all the things you put in so much stock in are gone. And you have all kinds of questions and worries if you survive the accident. End up in the critical ward. And then you have to think about leaving this life and appearing before God. Where do I go after this life? Suddenly you have to deal with the effects of the fall, of your fall, and face the fact that sin has ruined so much in life, that this life is broken. And you realize, now I would have to answer for that, for, for my own life, and for falling short of the love that God requires of us the love for him and for our neighbor. The thing is, after the fall, man has always tried to cover up his sin and the consequences of his sin. You could call it the great cover-up. He covers up the uncertainty and the mortality of this broken life by seeking his stability in gods of his own making or in the human spirit, for instance, or human intelligence or human abilities or his own capacities and wealth and so on. And what it all comes down to is that man seeks comfort in himself. He fools himself into thinking he can manage by himself in this broken life, this life broken by sin, without dealing with the awful problem that lies at the root of everything, namely sin. 
But again, you know how easily all the certainties that, that man constructs for himself, how they can all suddenly fall, right? Like a house of cards at a puff of wind. Like the house built on sand in Jesus' parable. Winds blow, rains fall, floods rise, and the house falls down. Think of what we read in Psalm 73. Asaph went into the temple to the sanctuary of God. And there, when he sat in the sanctuary of God, thinking about what was going on there, he realized again what his life is really about, where it's going, and so on. He saw again it's about God about his redemption from sin. And then he realized again that all the earthly certainties only give temporary relief and don't actually rescue from sin and the curse and the wrath of God because of sin. And then he writes in Psalms 73, beginning of verse 18, he says then, about those who he was envious of. Surely you set them in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. Oh, how they are brought to desolation as in a moment they are utterly consumed with terrors as a dream when one awakens. So, Lord, when you awake, you shall despise their image. Congregation, do we dare say yet that some people don't need comfort? That there are people here that don't need comfort. Don't need comfort in this broken world. Don't need comfort because of sin, which has caused all the misery. Sadly, a lot of people today don't realize that their lives are actually on a dead-end road. That their lives are on a road that leads to eternal misery, destruction. How can we be envious of people who don't bother with God and don't want to serve Him, but only want to do their own thing. Notice how personal that first question of Lord's Day 1 is then too. What is your only comfort in life and death? If the question was about the only comfort in life and death in general... You could answer that question in a kind of impersonal way, but the question is directed at each of us personally. What is your only comfort and yours and yours? Nobody can avoid that question then. It's for all of us. It's asked of those of us here who have it good and for whom things are just moving along very nicely as well as those of us here who maybe have, are having a hard time, hard time maybe making ends meet and for whom things are not going well at all. It's asked of those who deal with health issues as well as those who are wonderfully healthy and strong. Asked of those of us who are old and can't count many years to live anymore as well as those of us who are young and look forward to a whole life of all kinds of experiences yet. Everybody without exception is asked, what is your comfort 
your only comfort in life and death, without exception. And that's because, congregation, all of us, without exception, have a great, that great need in our lives. That great need that our sins have to be removed. And the consequences of those sins. That's your greatest trouble in life. That by nature you're born in sin and inclined to it. And that because of that your life here is nothing more than a constant death. That's your biggest problem in death. For instance, that when you die you have to answer for it all. Before God's holy throne, you'd be required to give account for your life there. And so we all need a comfort that is greater than the troubles and fears in life and death. Every one of us is asked personally here what that comfort is for them. And brothers and sisters, boys and girls, what a wonderful thing it is to be able to confess your faith in the face of that great need because of sin. That you, you can confess, I'm not my own, but belong with body and soul, both in life and death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has freed me from all the power of the devil. What a beautiful thing to be able to confess that in the light of that need. Because that's your confession, isn't it? It is your confession, isn't it? Your personal comfort. You know, I read somewhere that the Emperor Nero had a huge complex in Rome filled with thousands of slaves. They all had different tasks to perform. The one had lighter work, the other heavier. But they had it pretty good in that complex as long as they behaved and were in that complex. But all of Nero's slaves had the same end. Nero had them fastened to stakes and painted with pitch and he used them as torches for his nighttime parties and orgies. That's where the lives of all his slaves ended. Oh, one slave might work harder than another, ended up with a few more freedoms and privileges and a little bit more time in that slave complex, but ultimately each and every slave was destined for the same horrible death. Unavoidable. Unless, unless there was someone who would pay big money for one of Nero's slaves. He was happy to give a slave to someone else as long as he was paid big time for that. A big sum of money. The only way a slave of Nero could escape death as a human torch. Well, of ourselves, we're in a, actually, of ourselves. And then we're thinking outside of Christ, we are in the same kind of situation. 
slaves of the devil, kept in a huge slave complex like Nero had. A closed world, gates closed. And even if those gates were open, nobody in that complex would think of leaving. Because we all, by nature, like staying there better than being outside. We like it in there, in that slave complex, because we don't know what it's like outside of it. We're stuck there because of our sinful lusts and desires. And the devil has only one purpose there. He ultimately wants to drag us all with him into the lake that burns with fire and sulfur. He wants to make human torches out of all of us. Brothers and sisters, boys and girls, that was our situation. Our state of need. But God sent his son in our flesh to free us from that complex of the devil. He turned the deadbolt of the curse of sin and the door of the complex open for us. He paid for our sins with his blood, set us free from that slavery of the devil. He even had to draw us out of there. By his Holy Spirit. People think they're okay in the devil's slave complex. But now that we are outside of it, we realize that life in there was a huge, big deception. Jesus Christ bought us with his blood, and with him we realize now, now we're really free. Free of the curse of the law, free of the fear of hell. Now we realize how good it is to belong to Him, to be with Him. Now we realize how much we need His comfort. And that brings us to the second part of the sermon this afternoon, the uniqueness of that comfort. Congregation, if there was no God, you'd be on your own here, And you'd have to find things within this world to give you stability in life, to build your house on. Within that slave complex of Satan. However, everything here in this complex is ultimately unstable. Even if you think it is, in the end it will not keep you from that stake. Because in the end, you'll have to let go of life itself. In faith, though, we build our house on the rock. And we belong to Jesus Christ. Only with God is there certainty that goes beyond our life here. Only in Him is there comfort in life and death. And that's because God is a living God. The one, the God who in Christ Jesus has overcome death, which is the ultimate certainty we will all die to belong to him to know God though is the only comfort there can actually be in life and death 
because it reaches beyond. That makes this comfort unique. Our only comfort. The furious efforts of people who don't belong to Christ by faith are useless. They're not going to be able to find something outside of God that will last through that, through death. They won't be able to find something outside of God in Christ that can stand up through all the storms of life and ultimately the storm of God's final judgment against their sins. So the comfort we confess in Lord's Day 1 is totally unique. It's not the last comfort, a final one, not the most important one of many which are available. No, we confess it's the only comfort in life and death. My only comfort is that I'm not my own but belong with body and soul to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Not my own. That makes it pretty unique too. Because isn't that strange that you're happy not to be your own? To belong to yourself? To have the say over yourself, but that somebody else has gained the say over your your life and death. In our culture today, people are encouraged to be themselves. You can choose to be who you want to. Do what you want. Nobody is allowed to restrict your choices. You have rights. You can choose to be who you want to be sexually. You have the right to choose the end of your life. You have the right to choose to end the life of an unborn child. Pro-choice today. Pro-choice. Nobody has the right to restrict your choices. Free to choose for yourself. But brothers and sisters, boys and girls, are people like that really so happy with their lives? Sadly, we see the opposite of true happiness with them in the end, right? Because if you look at those those choice things and people who stand for that, unfortunately, they're self-centered because they idolize themselves. And you see that, for instance, nowadays in people, how they idolize their bodies. Their attention is focused on their bodies. They work to make their bodies slim and strong and brown, and at the same time, they do their best to satisfy their physical desires with sex and alcohol and drugs and so on. They try to keep themselves looking young with plastic surgery and Botox and so on. They forgot they have souls. And they only want to live for here and now. And if their bodies become diseased or old, they want to end their lives because what's the use then? Oh, they they talk with big words about living happy and dying with dignity. But their outer actions actually betray their inner emptiness and unhappiness with themselves and their lives. Their houses are built on sand. Sand. And this is something we have to examine ourselves for all the time too, congregation, that we don't get caught up with that kind of emptiness, that culture of living for ourselves only. The thing is, people who don't belong to and live for the Lord think they're free. 
and they have choices, but actually they don't. Because the devil is their Lord and master, like Nero's slaves. The devil fools those slaves into thinking they're free, and they can make their own choices, but they're actually completely in his power. Destined to become human torches. Think of what the Apostle Peter writes to Peter 2 about false teachers who preach freedom while they promise others liberty. They themselves are slaves of corruption. If you want to be your own boss and only do what you want, you actually become a slave of sin and a slave of the devil and subject to God's wrath. You think you're being free and progressive. Actually, you're committing suicide, spiritual suicide. No, in faith we can confess we've been freed from ourselves. What a relief that I'm not my own. Again, that sounds strange because who is comforted by the fact they don't have the say over themselves anymore, but to belong to Jesus Christ. We belong to the Savior from sin, Jesus Christ, and only by belonging to him can you be freed from yourself and from the devil and be yourself. Jesus Christ has set us free from the power of the devil and sin. He did that by completely overcoming Satan, paying for all our sins, paying our debt before God and setting us free from the power of the devil. And by the power of his spirit, he renews us in his image, the image of the perfect man he is. You realize how thankful, joyful, comforting it is to, to have this Lord and Master. Our bodies are affected by sin and they're going to deteriorate over time. If the Lord doesn't return before, beforehand, our bodies will eventually give out altogether. And our souls here are continually under attack by the evil one. And that doesn't stop even when we're old. But we belong with body and soul to Jesus Christ who overcame sin, Satan, death. And to belong to him is a comfort then which is greater than any trouble, pain, sorrow in this life. A comfort which is rock solid, which you can come back to every time again. In a world full of imitation, comfort, and bogus certainty, we in faith have the unique comfort of belonging in life and death to the rock, the savior of the world, Jesus Christ. And with this comfort, you can get through all the troubles and sorrows that life can throw at you. With this comfort, you can even look death in the face, even though it's a terrible enemy. But we know that we belong to him who overcame death so that death has actually lost its grip, its sting. With this comfort, we're not afraid to appear before God's holy throne because we believe that because of Jesus, our names are written in the book of life. See, that's, that's the comfort that Asaph was already singing about in Psalm 73 in the Old Testament. The last part of Psalm 73 when he was in the sanctuary in God's temple near the altar there 
And he saw the blood flowing on the altar, that blood that, that pointed to Jesus Christ. Then he realized what his comfort is. And he realized what the end of those who place their trust in other things will be. He realized how good it is to build his house, his life on the rock, which is God's grace in the blood of the Savior instead of on uncertain riches or selfish pleasures. And therefore, he says, starting in verse 23, nevertheless, he says, I'm continually with you. You hold me by my right hand. You will guide me with your counsel and afterward receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none upon earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. In his Sermon on the Mount, the Lord Jesus also pointed to that instability of earthly success and pleasure and certainty in contrast to the sure and certain inheritance laid away for those who believe in him. And then he said, Matthew 5, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, they shall inherit the earth. The Lord Jesus stated also the opposite about those who trusted in their riches in themselves in Luke 6. Woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full, for you shall hunger. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. See, if somebody lives for this life only, puts his trust in success and riches or anything else here, seek their stability in it, they will have received their reward already. And they can't count on the eternal reward God has promised those who belong to Christ. Brothers and sisters, boys and girls too, congratulations with that unique and that only comfort in life and death which is yours in Jesus Christ. Congratulations. Because it is yours, isn't it? Isn't it? God has promised it to you. And you want to have it and hold on to it, don't you? You're so filled with it, you want to run up and embrace Jesus Christ. Embrace Him. Embrace Him in faith for making Him your own, don't you? Or are you ignoring His hands stretched out to you in love? Don't do that. Don't do that. Embrace Him in faith. How? How do you embrace Him in faith? Well, as the second question and answer of Lord's Day One show, by knowing more and more about those three things mentioned there, deepening yourself in those three things, how great my sins and misery are, how I have been delivered from my sins and misery in Christ, and how I am to be thankful for such a deliverance, a wonderful deliverance. And you see, the more you deepen yourself in those three things, the more comforted 
and joyful you'll be with the Savior, Jesus Christ. You won't look for anything outside of him. And that's why we're going to open the catechism every Sunday afternoon again here, beginning with this Lord's Day. And going through those three parts so that we ever tighter cling to the hand of God with our right hand, that hand extended to us in Christ. Hold it ever tighter. Amen. Let us pray. Thank you, Father, for being able to confess this afternoon that our only comfort is that in life and death, with body and soul, we belong to Jesus Christ, the Savior from sin. We need that comfort. Grant that we may have been convinced of that need for it, for that convinced of that confession again if we doubt it, that we may be encouraged in that confession if we're negligent in it, that we may be deepened in that confession if we do hold it. Father, let us live then as people who know their sins, who trust their Savior, and who want to live in thankfulness for such a glorious salvation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.